We have enough lights to cover the bush. Out of context, that's going to sound bad, but trust me, it's going to look beautiful. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Spearsy. And Brad in LA. And today we welcome back our author friend, Chris Clues, to talk about his new book, Raised on the 80s, 30-plus Unexpected Life Lessons from the Movies and Music that Define Pop Culture's Most Excellent Decade. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Steve, this episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by... Hang on. I, I lost my notes. What? Hang on. Stand by. Just give me a second here. I, I know this should be a no-brainer, but it's it's just not clicking. Where, where is the script? The sp- show's sponsored by... Hang, wait. I know this. I know. It's it's Chico's Bail Bonds. Wait. No. It's Senior Pizza? No, no, no. That's... A, Bronco... Bur- it's Bronco Burger. No. Wait. No, all American burger? No, that's where the other Brad worked. Um It's not Brad, it's it's not it's not either one of those. It's the Hades Cruise. It's, it's what? It's Hades Canoes? What? <sighs> no, it's the Eighties Cruise. Oh right. well, of course. It's the Eighties Cruise. Join Spearsy, myself, MTV, BJ Smart Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown. Along with 3,000 more nostalgia-seeking sea dogs in March 2023 for a week-long trip aboard the Royal Caribbean Navigator of the Seas. Performers will include Devo, Brett Michaels, Kim Wilde, The Church, Howard Jones, Living Color, John Parr, Morris Day, and The Time, The Smithereens, Vixen, Cutting Crew, Midger, Autograph, Tone Loke, and more. First-time guests, as you might have heard, can get $200 a cabin credit just by using the promo code stuck when booking. Yes, you're stuck and yes, you're booking. And yes, you're getting $200, friend. Just go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. Uh, I'm so good. Hey, everybody. I had a great conversation this morning with uh, my good friend Chris Clues. You might remember him from about, was about two years ago, October 2020. He was on the show talking about one of his books. He's written three books now about how 80s movies uh, impart important life lessons uh, to you in the workplace, at home. Uh, I'm trying to think of something funny to say. I'm out of. I'm all out of funny today. Oh, man. You're just serious. Serious Steve is serious. He's very upset but, about the U.S. crashing out of the World Cup. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, I was recording the interview with him during that game. Oh. So I missed it. Yeah. So. It had moments. <laughs> it did. Well, this this interview has plenty of moments. Chris is a lot of fun to talk to. He, if you read his book, his his most recent book, uh, Raised on the Eighties, he drops in so many little asides in there mm-hmm. that will just, I mean, constantly cracking me up. I mean, I guess there's a story about how he got suspended from school 
for wearing a shirt in Spanish class that, that said who farted, you know, from uh, <laughs> <laughs> Revenge classy, of the Nerds. Mr. Clues, keep it classy. <laughs> but um, no, he's, he's got all these little stories. He, what he normally does is he goes back in time. He talks about a movie from a certain year and then he'll also kind of tell you what he was doing that year and okay. or yeah. he'll share some of the funny stories there's a funny story about him trying to paint houses uh, on a summer job and then being attacked by a spider which he's deathly afraid of huh and uh ends up passing out and they have to be carried through the a second story window oh. to uh <laughs> oh my gosh I mean, where, where are you on spiders, Steve? Let me just ask. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of spiders. I, I think a snake would freak me out more. In the house, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to persecute you with extreme prejudice if you're a spider in my house. If you're outside, boy, weapons free, have at it. Unless you're a black widow, I'm not real keen on those, and those are kind of hang out around the house here and there. If I see one, I'm smushing it. But yeah. if you're a spider outside, you know, go with God. If you're in my house, though, game on. Snakes. I, had, I, I kind of them the same way. Like I don't think I want to. I, I mean, I've had, never had a snake in the house. I've had a bird in the house. We had a rabbit in the house. Had lizards in geez. the house. Lizards plenty in Florida. The s- snakes don't usually come inside. The um, snakes would eat the bugs and the spiders, yeah. so that would be good. It's good, right? Yeah. We had a house. I, I was renting a house when I first moved to Orlando that had. Um, I think they're called like. Werewolf spiders or wolf like spiders? Wolf spiders, they're big. Yeah. yeah, they're big and they're angry. <laughs> and, and they'll they when protest, you come across they have them, signs, more bugs, more bugs. <laughs> they they used to um they were always in the closet in this house. You'd open up and there'd be one in there, and it, it was like they would sit back on their legs and kind of like taunt you. And and, and huh. I, to this day, I. The, I, I can see it like it's – I can tell you exactly what closet was and exactly what hallway and where that damn thing was. So but, now yeah, every no. time you open your closet, are you like, you in here, buddy? Hey, buddy, no, you in here, buddy? Thing, <laughs> thankfully, the only thing we have problem here with is sugar ants every, every once in a mm, while. So yeah. Can't can't help it. Anyway, anyway, sorry for the sidetrack. <laughs> Chris Chris is sitting there shaking in cold sweats, listening to our spider stories. But uh, no, it's it's a great conversation. We're going to talk all about his new book. We're going to go through some of the movies he discusses. We're, we're, <laughs> we 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 take a couple of, of uh, trips, you know, to left field every once in a while because that's what what I do. And uh, but it's a great conversation. Uh, when we come back, we'll tell you how to get the book. And Brad will give you his impressions. But for now, sit back and enjoy this conversation with author Chris Clues. Chris Clues, welcome back to Stuck in the 80s. Hey, thanks, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I, I really, um, I really appreciate it. I love your work, and um, I appreciate the megaphone. <laughs> it's been it's been two years since you've been on the show. It seems like just yesterday, but I know you've been busy. Uh, what's the new book called? It's called Raised on the Eighties. Yes, yeah, Raised on the Eighties: Thirty Plus Unexpected Life Lessons. For those of you that might be able to see the video here, I'll kind of get it in there. There you go. Thirty plus. I got it too. Life lessons from movies and music that define pop culture's most excellent decade. Uh, yeah. So this is the third book that you've done on 80s pop culture. How does it compare to the first two? This one was uh, a lot more fun for me to write because I focused on life lessons from 80s pop culture. The first two 
books focused more on workplace lessons, which, you know, our life and our work are intertwined for most of us. A lot of us, they, you know, they, they cross over. Uh, but this one was a lot more fun, I felt like, for me to write just because I was focusing a bit more on life. What What's the writing process for you like? Do you, when you examine these movies again and you're looking for the life lessons, are you are you putting them on? Are you watching them slowly? Are you stopping and taking notes? Are you, I mean, I'm just curious what your process is. As a fellow writer, I'm, I'm super curious. Yeah, it's really interesting. So uh, what I typically do is I think about the movies that I enjoyed. And then I start thinking about would that movie be able to actually teach us something? Because some of them, you know, you really have to work hard to find the lessons. Um, believe it or not, the ones you wouldn't expect, as you probably know from the second book, movies like Fast Times Ridgemont High, which you really wouldn't expect any kind of lessons from. There actually are some really great lessons in there. So I think um, what I do basically is I'll watch the movie again. Uh, typically, I've watched these movies recently, but I'll watch it again. And then I go to IMDb and I really start to look at the uh, dialogue and the quotes from the characters. And there's just a quote or a piece of dialogue that will jump out to me. I think there's a lesson in there somewhere. And that's where I start. And uh, and then I go from there. And so I look at that time frame and I say, okay, this movie came out in June of 1983. What was I doing then? There had to be something stupid or silly I was doing as a kid. And then what was the other pop culture at that time as well? So that can really kind of develop the, the scene, um, so to speak, for everyone within the chapter before we actually dive into any lessons. Sure. You know, we're, <clears throat> we're 40 years removed now, 42 years removed now from the start of the 80s. And, and the challenges that we deal with today as adults are probably a lot different. I, I, they've got to be a lot different than they were back when, you know, when we were teenagers. You know, you know, there's an age difference, you know, problems when you have when you're 15 years old, you know, do I have, am I going to have, you know, enough time to get my driver's license? Is this girl in class really like me? They're different than the problems you have when you're 50. So yes. I'm curious your opinion. How is it that 80s movies are still able to teach us the right lessons so long after they were already in the theaters? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think we have to go back to why is 80s pop culture, as you mentioned, 42 years removed from 1980. Why is it not just resonating still today, but actually growing in influence? And there's, you know, obviously the conversation around, well, the people who are the decision makers, the ones who hold the budgets are Gen X. And so they're nostalgic for when they grew up as, as you know, many people are. But I think it runs a little bit deeper than that. And I think you have to look at the 80s and I've tried to deconstruct this argument because I have the 80s bias that I have, but I've really found it difficult to do in that the 80s kind of stands alone in all of our decades when it comes to pop culture. And I, I have talked about this in the past, the idea that it's like somebody took a glitter bomb and threw it against the wall and everything, you know, exploded into all these wonderful colors. And those colors were like the experimentation that was going on, the, the subgenres that exploded out of the existing genres, particularly when we talk about music. Uh, and then also with movies. And so there was a lot of experimentation and innovation. And I think most importantly, it was the last decade in my mind. Now, maybe you could, you could argue that it was up until about 1995, the mid 90s. But really, the 80s was the last decade where pop culture wasn't manufactured. Uh, they weren't manufacturing it in a lab, quote unquote, and then saying, OK, we spent all this money building this pop star, building this piece of music, building this movie. We're going to hammer you over the head until you like it, even if it's not very good. And that just wasn't happening in the 80s. That's why we have the one hit wonders that we had, I believe, because they were willing to experiment. And they were saying to the public, hey, 
tell us what you like. Do you like this? And we're like, yeah, we like that. They're like, okay, we'll make more of that. Do you like this? Not so much. All right, let's see what else we can do. That's kind of how it was. And I, I think people miss that. I think part of it too is, I mean, <clears throat> this book is obviously going to resonate most, I think, with, with our generation because when you're in your teen years, your mind, I think, is at that point the most open to um, to learning as opposed to today where, you know, you could uh, run me around my house and tell me that it's round that I, I you know, I'd be, I wouldn't believe you no matter what. But your your mind is so open to new ideas that that's part of your life that the lessons we take from those movies seems stronger when I, when I love movies from all decades, but I, when I think back on the sixties or the seventies or the nineties, there's not one movie I can think of where I said, you know, I learned, a, I learned some life lessons from that movie, but, but it's the eighties where it's, you know, the dead poet society and, and breakfast club and the sure thing. And all, all those movies where it's like, those are the basis of who I am and, and my personality and, and my work ethic. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, obviously there were, I feel like the, some of the stories, although there were some amazing movies that were really um, commenting on society and social issues at the time. And I think people miss that sometimes when they go back and look at the eighties movies, but I do think that the, the characters were, uh, they felt much more attainable. Um, they felt much more real in a lot of ways. And um you know, I, I look at movies, the John Hughes movies, for example, you mentioned The Breakfast Club and how those five kids are still in every high school in 2022. I, uh, I have so. kids that are in high school and they'll tell you those five kids are all still there. They'll be there hundreds of years after we're, we're gone. They're still going to be an athlete, a basket case, a princess, a criminal and a brain. They'll still all be there. And uh, I think that was something that the 80s did really well is it hit on, you know, characters in real life. And today we do have some fantastic movies, but so many of them are based in, you know, different worlds and, and fantasy worlds and things that don't exist. And I, by the way, I love those genres. Um, however, you know, when you talk about where you can actually learn things, um, that's that's what I think that, you know, 80s pop culture, 80s movies and, and even the music did as well. Yeah. I, I know the last time we talked um you explained how you had left your career in corporate marketing to pursue, you know, your dream of writing and talking about the eighties full time as a career. So it's at this point, you have to wonder, was there a specific eighties movie or song that really provided like the final spark, you know, the final, you know, I'm doing this, you know, this has changed my mind. This is where the change comes. Is there, is there a movie or song that did that to you specifically that you can recall? Yeah, there's two movies actually. And so uh, I was actually, I talk about this, this idea of I was really having a self-pity party of one. It's something that I do. Um, you know, when it's you and your dog, who else you can have a self-pity party with? So you have it with your dog. You have it with yourself. And uh, I was watching The Breakfast Club and, you know, of course, had watched it a hundred times. And there you talked about earlier, being, you know, the, be, between the difference between being 15 and 50. And maybe there's also that difference between what you hear or listen to within a movie or music as well as you age. And so I heard Bender say screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. Now, I had heard that line a hundred times every time I watch a movie, but I'd never really listened to it until that moment. And I kind of sat up and I said, my screws have fallen out because I was in a job that just wasn't working out for me. I, I enjoyed corporate marketing. I mean, I did it for 20 years, but I felt like there was something else out there for me. I just didn't know what it was. So, uh, yeah, so screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. What am I going to do to put those screws back in? Am I going to put the same screws in? And as Henry David Thoreau said, who's not 
uh, an 80s pop culture icon, <laughs> 1840s maybe. Yeah. He said the mass of men, we'll call that today the mass of people. The mass of people lead lives of quiet desperation. And I was leading that life of quiet desperation. Was I going to keep doing that or was I going to get a whole new set of screws, a whole new door frame and walk out to an entirely new journey? And that's what I decided to do. Now, the question was exactly what was I going to do? I knew 80s pop culture. I knew business. How would I put those two together? I wrote an article on what the Breakfast Club can teach us about problem solving. And I kind of threw it out on LinkedIn and I got this amazing response. And I thought maybe I have something here. So at that point, I decided to take Johnny Cade's advice from the outsiders uh, because I was 46 years old at the time. And he said, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And that resonated with me. I was not a 25 or 35 year old entrepreneur. I was 46 years old, deciding to leave everything I knew behind to, to chase this dream. So those are the two that really um, pushed me out there. Yeah, we talk. The Breakfast Club always comes up when you talk about the 80s or when anyone talks about the 80s. It's sort of like the um, the Mount Olympus of, of 80s pop culture. And um, I think one of the unfortunate things is that uh, you know, John Hughes left us so early. I mean, he left Hollywood after a very short period of time, and then he left left us for good far too early in in his life. And I'm, I often think about if I could have him on the show, you know, what questions would I ask him? And so and so, I, I give you that chance. Um, you're obviously a, a student of his work as much as anybody is. If you had a chance to sit down with him and, and pick his brain for 15 minutes, what what would you ask him? One of the first questions I would ask him uh, would be which of the characters uh, that he wrote into his movies most resembled him as a teenager. Mm. I'd be very curious. I, there's got to be one of them, or maybe it's a combination of a few, uh, but you just don't write as prolific and as well as he did, particularly with one kind of focus. I mean, I, my, for my money, like Plain Trains Automobiles was his greatest writing. That's just my opinion. Uh, and that was about adults. But I do, I do wonder if, you know, who, who of all these characters that you wrote about these, these teenage characters, which one do you resonate the most with or which one reminds you most of you? I I would guess it's the brain plus, plus keep in mind, he gives him the writing chore at the end, which John Hughes would want himself. Um, when I think of his work, I also think of um, there's one that nobody name checks. She's having a baby. Yeah. And I remember seeing that after college, about the same time that the movie starts with, you know, two young adults getting married and setting off in their careers. And there's so many poignant lines in that one. Uh, and, and from what I understand, it, it's semi-autobiographical to, to his career and that he started in the ad business and then transitioned into writing. So uh, much like you, I would ask that question. I would I would be asking those questions. Where are your personal connections? You know what 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 are the moments? These lines from your movie that you crafted so well and were meant to last, you know, for generations because he intentionally avoided using eighties lingo in his writing. You know what are the lines that that you wrote that you know you are most personally connected to? I think that would be interesting to know. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I really you know it'd be tough to ask him about. Um, his overall writing process because he, you know, I, I can't recall exactly which movie it was that he wrote over a weekend, essentially, but I think it was uh, breakfast club, but it, breakfast I could was, be wrong. There's so, so many of them at the same time, I think. Um, but you know, that would be tough because how do you, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just something that you you, you have a gift, you've figured out what that gift is and then, and then you run with it. Yeah. 
Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm always fascinated just by by writers and directors, but more writers and directors in general about what you know. What were the what were the things that carried through Ferris Bueller, for example? You know, who, where did that Ferris character come from? Was it somebody that he wanted to be? Was it somebody that, you know that he wished he was when he was younger? Was there a kid that was like Ferris that he grew up with? Uh, you know, like um, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, how Cameron Crowe, you know, went undercover into a high school, and then you know, turns out all of these characters are really real students, you know, based on real students. So I'd be curious about that. Yeah. Can you imagine a, a writing a writer's panel where you have Cameron Crowe? John Hughes and Aaron Sorkin, like the three of them just sitting there answering your questions about the writing process and engaging with characters and the importance of dialogue. And I mean, that would, that would be something that you would tape and like watch, watch in, on the internal on the inside of your brain for the rest of your life every day. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, amazing. It would be amazing. And, yeah. you know, I mean, Cameron Crowe is one that people, I think uh, those of us who are around and, and pay attention to movies, we know Cameron Crowe. But I think a lot of people don't realize some of the best movies they've seen were actually written, you know, were directed by Cameron Crowe. Yeah. Both, actually. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, um, the nice thing about Cameron is that he's done so many interviews over the years that he kind of he does answer a lot of the questions you have. Like, I, I know his his writing style was always such that he was always looking for that that line from a movie that people remember forever. Um. You know, I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. I was just about to say that one. I actually have a shirt that says that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he he was very he was very specific. He was very um, specific in his interviews about saying yes. There were lines that I wrote specifically that I hoped people would remember forever. And I think I remember what it was for Jerry Maguire. It was not the line he thought people would show me the money is the line that or um, you had me at hello are the two yeah. ones that people remember, but those were not the lines he wrote intending to last forever it was the line that the copy guy in hawaii gives him like you know you know you know that's courage you know putting your balls out there for everyone to see you know when he writes his little you know manifesto but um in the human head <laughs> the human head but he's 10 yeah um so let's talk some specifics about the new book um among the movies that you discuss is trading places yeah. and the lesson to be learned there was the more you question yourself the more prepared you are for the next opportunity. Wow. Yeah. So uh, listen, I, I love trading places. You were talking earlier about, um, you know, movies that maybe um, people don't mention when they talk about uh, 80s movies in general. And so there's, a, there's so many that I think get overlooked, even ones that, you know, trading places, Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, you're talking about three icons, and uh, and, it, and it does when people talk about the great 80s movies, you don't hear a lot of people mention Trading Places, but it is a great, first of all, again, another Christmas movie. We'll talk about that, right? Die Hard Christmas movie, Gremlins Christmas movie, Trading Places is a Christmas movie. Um, so great movie. Billy Ray Valentine's character, Eddie Murphy, you know, uh, that Eddie Murphy plays. And Eddie Murphy played some great characters in the 80s. This one in particular, though, what we see at the very beginning when we meet him is that we see how intelligent he is. Even though he's this con man on the street, he's a really good one. And uh, and we see that he's very intelligent. And if it was applied maybe in a different way, you know, who knows, right? So um, he ends up, you know, I won't get too much into the plot for everybody. I, I would highly recommend the movie. But in, in, in all kinds of different ways, he ends up as a commodities broker. And um, at this moment that he's standing in front of the building 
getting ready to walk in for this first day. And I remember he had been, you know, a con man on the street, basically. He looks at Coleman, the butler, and he says, what if I can't do this job? What if I'm, I'm not good enough? And Coleman says, just be yourself, sir. They can't take that away from you. Now, if that was all we learned from this, you know, be yourself. Now, there were a lot of characters that taught us that in the 80s. The Breakfast Club had numerous ones. Revenge of the Nerds, my shirt right here. You know, be yourself. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an underlying theme throughout so many 80s movies. Um, that would be good enough. But it actually goes deeper than that. And it's the idea about imposter syndrome. We talk about that today. That's the, the buzzword that people use. And uh, it's the idea of thinking that, you know, when you when you question yourself that you're, you have a lack of confidence. On the contrary, you know, confident people question themselves arrogant people question others. Uh, really important lesson. You know, when you're continuing to question yourself, that's how you get better. Each time that I'm doing a keynote speaking engagement, when I'm getting ready to walk on stage, there are a lot of questions in my head. Am I good enough? Are they going to like me? Why me? Why do I have this opportunity to be on stage in front of all of these people? You know, am I going to remember everything that I'm supposed to remember? All these questions in my head uh, but that's what helps me stay sharp. That's what helps me, you know, get better. Once you stop questioning yourself, there's two things that could happen. One is that's it. You think that you have reached the pinnacle and there's nowhere else to go or you're good enough and you don't have to question yourself anymore. That's not a good place. Number two is you question others. And that becomes arrogance when you look around and you say, well, you know, I'm just going to question these people over here if something goes wrong. Let me ask you this, because I get accused of this a lot. And I, and I know that this is one of my personality traits second guessing you've done something it's over you 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 know you made lasagna for the family you're you're questioning how you did it you've delivered your keynote speech you're you're backstage you know having a nice tea and you're you're second guessing that one joke you decided to include second guessing is this a bourbon or iced tea i'm sorry what did you say what's sorry i'm sorry bourbon or iced tea i didn't hear you oh (laughs) with me it could be either one (laughs) uh you're you're second guessing a positive quality or a negative quality and do you is it is it some lesson that you think has ever been addressed in an 80s movie well i mean yeah i think in a roundabout way it was addressed in a few movies um i think second guessing still goes back to this idea of you know confident people question themselves you're still questioning and i do that I mean, I, you know, my, my business partner, Kristen, who, who books me for things, she, you, she would tell you if she was on here that I always call her afterwards and she says, how did it go? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I felt like it went okay, but people didn't respond here. Or they didn't do this or I didn't have that as many people come up to me afterwards as I thought. And that, and then, you know, two weeks later we get a call like, Hey, that was great. You know, we want to have you come back. Um, but prior to that, I'm doing a lot of second guessing. Uh, I feel like, you know, that's, that's again, how you get better. You could, you know, you hit a home run, but you still look at it and you think, well, you know, was it just that the pitch was in the right place or, you know, that I got lucky with my swing Did I really, was that really me? Or was that just, you know, I, I just got right place, right time. Yeah. Um, Baseball, by the way, is the ultimate sport for life uh, metaphors. Can we yeah. agree on that? <laughs> yeah. Steal the dreams is in my new book. So yes, I definitely agree yeah. with that. Um, uh, but I would tell you one that's very, another one that's in my book that, you know, the, the second guessing thing sometimes comes after a fall. And so Can't Buy Me Love, you know, great 80s movie in, in this book as well. Patrick Dempsey, uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, you know, he plays this kid who's like a, I mean, we'll call him like the nerd, the geek, whatever, who mows lawns for, to, if he wants to save money to buy a telescope. And uh, Patrick Dempsey, by the way, there's a lesson there as well. 
you know, he goes from Ronald Miller and actually in, in Loverboy, which is another underrated 80s movie, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> pizzas, uh, he goes from, you know, the geek kid to Dr. McDreamy uh, in Grey's Anatomy. So there's a lesson for you, everybody out there. Anything is possible, right? You go from from uh, the kid riding the to Dr. McDreamy. But he does a little bit of second guessing, but it's after a fall. You know, it's 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 the idea of like, don't fake it to make it because, you know, the fall is going to be fast and unforgiving. All right. Um, Vision Quest is another movie you dive into, and this has always been one of my favorites. I, I don't know why it doesn't uh, get name checked as often as it should. Um, it's not as difficult to see the lessons there, only because, and I say this only because Matthew Bodine's character narrates throughout the movie, and he narrates the ending. So, in a way, if you didn't catch on by the end of this movie, you <laughs> you need to you need to go back and reexamine your comprehension skills. But but I love that you dissect the the epic speech in this movie, the six minute speech that, that, that has to be one of the meteor moments in any eighties movie. It's an incredible monologue, by the way. Uh, I I just, you know, if you, if for, if nothing else go, if you're listening, go to YouTube and type in Elmo vision quest monologue and it's 65 or 70 seconds. And it's just an incredible scene. Um, uh, about friendship, I think uh, out of everything in there, really, you get motivation, determination, not giving up, but you really get friendship. He really delivers a great friendship monologue. Yeah, yeah Vision Quest is one of those where uh, a top five soundtrack, by the way. Uh, oh, another yeah. thing these movies were famous for, you know, every band and every musician wanted to be on a soundtrack, which is really different from today, I think. So, uh, so yeah, it was a great soundtrack, great movie, lots of lessons. Uh, for those of you who love yourselves, some Jake Ryan. You get another bite at the Jake Ryan apple because Michael Shoffman plays Cooch, his best friend. So there's a reason maybe for some of you to go watch it. Uh, so, yeah, it's great wrestling movie, great life movie. The the real one of the big lessons in it, you know, and you 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 nailed it. Loudon Swain, another great name. I never had kids, but boy, if I if I had a son, I would have named him Loudon. No doubt about it. Uh, so Loudon Swain, this great character, narrates it. And uh, there's a lesson in there about uh, marking the time or making your mark. And he talks about this at the beginning, how he's 18 years old and he hasn't done anything in his life. And he's going to, you know, make his his mark um, in, in the movie. And this is going to be by wrestling the state champion and beating him. And it's a it's a really important lesson about marking the time. We, we, all, we all mark the time. It's important to mark the time, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, things like that. These are important moments in our lives. Um, but that's not it. Like, you know, it's also about making your mark. And that doesn't mean, by the way, um, being famous. You know, you, there's lots of ways to make your mark with your family, with your friends in your community, giving back in your community is making your mark. You know, it's, this is a really, I think a really important lesson, a really important theme throughout the movie. You know, the difference between marking the time, you can mark the time or make your mark. And so many people just kind of mark the time. I love, I love it when you were recapping it and you're saying, I'm a, he's 18 year old, he's 18 years old and he hasn't made his mark yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, dude, <laughs> join the club, man. And that's in some people, right? There are people who at, at, 10, 12, 15 years old already have something in their head and they're going to do it. And uh, it's pretty awesome when you actually see that, that play out, but yeah, that that's, you're right. I mean, he's, you know, he's jogging in the uh, silver suit that I think my dad used to do. He used to jump rope in that silver suit suit to get the sweat off back in the day uh, yeah. to fly now. And yeah, so. things that would not fly today for sure. <laughs> um, Cocktail is another movie that you uh, feature in the book. And aside from the two obvious earworm songs that that make that movie so memorable, yes. um, 
to me, when I watched it the first time, I was just intrigued by the character of Doug Coughlin, played by the great Brian Brown. And he, in the script, offers so many life lessons to his young friend, uh, Tom Cruise. Here's my question for you. Are any of Doug's lessons truly helpful or are they self-destructive or is, is he meant to just be a cautionary tale in your mind? I think so. I, I think, I think both. I think he's meant to be a cautionary tale, but sometimes the people who are cautionary tales recognize that they are and they want to leave some nuggets behind, you know, they're, they may be troubled. They may be broken. I mean, Doug is obviously troubled and broken. Uh, but I think he, he's hoping he's hopeful that that same thing won't, um, won't happen to anybody else. And we do, you know, I think most of us have somebody in our life like that, that, you know, that, that is a cautionary tale and, and they do sometimes leave those nuggets behind. Like don't, you know, here, cause those Coughlin rules, there are some, there are some really good ones in there. And then there are some very cynical, sarcastic ones. Uh, and then there are ones that you probably shouldn't follow, but. Um, Beers for breakfast. Beers for breakfast. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you're bringing up these movies because I really tried to, I try to find movies you know, some of the movies are obvious field of dreams, but I try to find movies that maybe we don't expect to learn from. I also am trying to introduce people to movies that they may have heard of, but they may not have seen in this book, because I think that there's this huge library of 80s movies that are just untapped. And that if people go back and really watch them, there's some amazing stories there. Cocktail being one of them in the, in the whole uh, Flugelbinder conversation. It's a great word. Out there. Yeah. Uh, and there's a great lesson there. You, you open yourself up now for the next question. One of the most epic movies in the entire decade is Dirty Dancing. Yes. And you have not seen it. Not. I'm telling you right now, is it, I, I've seen it a few times. The first time, very reluctantly. Um, it's completely different movie as an adult to watch than, than as a kid. Don't you think that for the purposes of research, you should have at least at some time attempt to tackle yeah, Dirty Dancing? And I saw your post about how it's a different movie when you're an adult. That's funny. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So um, listen, I, uh, for those that have, that heard the previous episode that we did or have read anything I, that I've written, I love Patrick Swayze. In fact, you know, my dog is named Bodie after uh, Patrick's character in Point Break, which uh, is a nineties movie that really feels so eighties and uh, and fantastic movie. Um, Catherine Bigelow, you know, cutting her teeth and not just cutting her teeth, but I mean, you want to talk about like, I think that was her first movie. Wow. Um, and then moving on to win an Oscar with Hurt Locker. Um, so, yeah, I, I do uh, Pat, Dirty Dancing. I love Patrick Swayze. There, there are some good reasons why I haven't seen this movie and why I will continue not to see it. Uh, <laughs> it's become a story now. And when I'm keynote speaking, uh, the moans and groans that I get from the crowd when I say I haven't seen Dirty Dancing, I have to just continue not to see it only because of that. I couldn't fake it. I'm not, I'm somebody that's got to be kind of honest and transparent. So, the reason is my prom and uh, my senior prom, you know, I wanted home sweet home as the uh, prom song. I was voted down. We ended up with uh, now I had the time of my life from dirty dancing. I hadn't seen the movie at that time. And so I had to hear that that song a hundred times that night at least. And I just decided this is like uh, when I got stuck on it's a small world in Disney and everything broke down except for the dolls singing that song. <laughs> That's I, I just, I, because of that movie, I, because of that song, I just can't see the movie anymore. No, hey, that is that is the best reason of all not to see it. I mean, you need to, for the longest time, I had never seen Goonies until maybe last year. Really? Well, I was, it was, I was of the age, it was in 1980, 
Six? Uh, the Goonies? Five. 85, 86. So at that point, I'm 18 years old. The last thing I want to do is see a movie about a bunch of little kids. So yeah, that makes sense. I finally saw it maybe a year ago. And my first comment was, it's it's Indiana Jones and the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with kids. Yeah. And my, my wife was disgusted by that comparison. But I, I eventually grew to love it. But for the purposes of your career, I absolutely endorse you not watching Dirty Dancing because <laughs> I mean that's yeah, it's a great shtick. I mean, never ruin great radio. That's right, and it's and it's shocking to people because they look at it as such an iconic uh, '80s movie, and of course, because I talk about how much I do love Patrick Swayze. I mean, I I I legitimately get upset when they remake his movies. I yes. don't understand it. Like I feel like just re-release them. Like they're redoing Roadhouse. They're remaking Roadhouse right now. Just re-release it. It's, <laughs> it's a great movie in and of itself. And and listen, it's got Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott. I mean, Sam Elliott, by the way, who looks exactly the same today as he did in 1989. When that Maybe better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. The guy's a vampire. So, no, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So I just, you know, I, I yeah, it is a good shtick. And I, I really have absolutely zero desire to see it. No, no. It, to be honest, it's not going to improve your opinion of Patrick Swayze. His character goes... <laughs> from milk toast to to bad boy and and back again so often that you're just kind of like what you know did, you know did it, did anyone like really read the script? Um, and I know that's blasphemy for some '80s fans, but pff, I mean I it's it's a good movie as an adult for different reasons and and but if you're a Patrick Swayze fan, it's not going to help. I mean, I still like she's like the wind. I will admit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Patrick Swayze song. She's like the wind. I have to admit it. You know. Yeah, I, I won't turn it off. Um, <laughs> there's there's some. Um, there's so many of the little things that you put in your book that to me is, is what I, I, I really, all, all your little um, side tales and your little asides. And I mean, there's so many great things like uh, the spider on the ladder that, that freaks you out. It's, it's to me, I mean, I, I, I was laughing at reading that um, being turned down 10 times in one night for a couple skates at a skating rink. That's that, that resonates. Um, getting suspended for wearing a t-shirt that said who farted in Spanish class. Yeah. Was that a, that's a revenge of the nerds, right? Yeah. I listen, I, uh, and I get reminded about that every so often on Facebook, somebody that I went to high school with, you know, they'll post something about high school and then somebody will tag me and say, remember Mrs. Zama first class. That was my Spanish class. And she basically said, like, if you just sit in the back of the class and stop disrupting it, I'll give you a B. (laughs) And I did. It's unfortunate. I look back now and I wish I wouldn't have because I really I think it would have been good to take Spanish one, Spanish two and actually learn a little bit of Spanish. <laughs> but I but I decided to take the B and why. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the spider thing. I, um, you know, I compare that to the Indiana Jones and the snakes. It's a real thing for me. Yeah. I, I, I'm i not a I could, you know, somebody wants to rob me. They could they'd have better off rob me at spider point. Ladders for me. I don't like to climb ladders. Um, so you you. you steal my wallet and run up a ladder. You're as safe as a kid. <laughs> so, the, um, the one thing that got a fist pump out of me though, was when you say that uh, the movie three o'clock high has the best eighties villain with uh, buddy Ravel. And I was just like, yes, 100%. I mean, he, this guy gets me. Yeah. hundred percent. Do you want to talk about an underrated eighties movie? And you know, let's talk for a second about, well, buddy Ravel, number one, Richard Tyson. Um, what a fantastic bully. I mean, perfectly cast. And if you don't know the name Richard Tyson and you don't know the movie Three O'Clock High, you may know the movie Kindergarten Cop and he played the bad guy in Kindergarten Cop, just for those of you that want to kind of get a visual in your head. 
But I, I would highly recommend going back and watching Three O'Clock High. It is super underrated. And when we talk about remakes of 80s movies, what frustrates me about that is that they, t- they try to remake movies that were already successful. And they already had iconic characters in them. You know, I love Ed Helms, and I know that they were trying to do, like, the Rusty Griswold. But let's be honest, they were trying to make him Clark Griswold. No one is Clark Griswold except for Chevy Chase. No one is Axel Foley except for Eddie Murphy, which is they're, they're doing a new uh, Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley, which I'm so relieved to see. Uh, no one is uh, Daniel LaRusso, except for, you know, Ralph Macchio. So go back and find these gems that maybe didn't do as well at the box office that still have a great story to tell today. Three O'Clock High would be one of them. Yeah. It's a great movie about bullying and standing up. And, you know, that's that could really resonate in 2022. And it's not a movie that has, except for you and, I, you and me, of course, and maybe some others that love you know, Buddy Ravel, it doesn't have those iconic characters that you should be afraid to remake in somebody with somebody new. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say, if you're going to, if you're going to remake it, then, then take uh, Tyson and, and put him into one of the adult roles. And, make him the principal. Yeah. Make him the principal. And then just <laughs> would have been perfect for that. Um, what's interesting about that comparison though, because I mean, I think Billy Zabka always gets the, uh, love him. the love as the villain, the king of the eighties villains. You know I mean? He, Three movies at least come to mind: Karate Kid, one just one of the guys, and Back to School. I might yes. pro- probably missing one, but are there lessons to be learned from his villainous performances? And sidebar: Can you say that the Cobra Kai series shows us another side of Johnny Lawrence, and maybe that lesson, the lesson of empathy, is the lesson to be learned? Yeah. So the the villain lesson is, you know, if you're if you see a guy with a sweater tied around his neck. <laughs> it's probably a villain <laughs> i mean that was just the iconic or you know i keep using the word iconic but that was the uh that was the image of the you know the kind of high school villain in the 80s besides of course buddy Ravel with his leather jacket uh was the uh the you know the sweater around um the neck yeah you know i'm i have to say you know sidebar to your sidebar i'm so happy to see william zapka get another bite at the apple because I think he's a really good actor and I I really, he's very likable on screen. And I think if you know what I mean, like you see people, there's some actors and actresses that just, they just exude, they just, they just exude likability through whatever they're doing on screen. So I'm really glad to see him get that bite. And I do think, yeah, I mean, it does give us a different side of Johnny Lawrence. It also shows us, you know, that, that sometimes there's just a moment in someone's life that changes the entire trajectory of it. Good, bad, good or bad, by the way. Um, Sometimes it's a moment that changes it for the good. Sometimes for the bad, we see it for the bad with Johnny. Um, But then we see redemption. And we also get to see shades. Oh God, I'm going to say it right. Um, Shades of gray, Uh, (laughs) not the movie, not the book, but we see shades of gray in what was kind of a black and white story back when it was written, the karate kid. Uh, but we see that there are shades of gray in it because now we look back and we have this question of, okay, well, who is the real bully? I mean, there was some bullying going on on both sides there. Who is the real bully? And ultimately what we learn out of all of that is that Mr. Miyagi is probably the greatest character in cinematic history. <laughs> That's true. I mean, that is true. Um, so what's next for you? Is there a fourth book book in the works? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a little breather. You know, books are, uh, they are a, uh, a very lonely um um, time consuming task. I mean, I love writing them. I enjoy writing them, but you really have to isolate yourself for extended periods of time. 
And um, it's it's a really heavy lift. So I'm going to take a little bit of a break, maybe a year or so before I start thinking about a fourth book. But I will tell you that the fourth book will stay along the lines of life lessons because I, I just felt like this was more fun for me to write. And by the way, you know, these life lessons can also apply to um, people's work as well. So um, in the meantime, I'm just doing a lot of keynote speaking. And um, I've been lucky enough to be on podcasts like yours. And I've had some good television interviews as well to talk about my book and some of the keynotes that I do. Where can people get a copy of the book? Yeah, they can get it on Amazon.com. Shocking. Uh, So Amazon, Kindle, uh, paperback. Also, it could be in your local bookstores or in in some of the larger uh, bookstores and even Costco's or Walmart's. I'm not really sure. The way that it works is you can kind of see what's happening on Amazon. But there's another company that actually inventories for, you know, basically everyone else brick and mortar. And you can see if your books are selling, but you can't see who's actually purchasing them. So you may see that. Um, And I know we're going to wrap up, but I I wanted to bring, can I bring up something? Sure. Um, uh, So the movie Dead Poet Society, I wanted to just kind of touch on that really quickly, if that's cool. Yeah. Um, So uh, again, one of those movies that you kind of expect to learn lessons from. And I I often talk about the idea of unexpected lessons. So some of the best lessons for life and work come from the most unexpected of places. I really do believe that, which is why, you know, movies like Fast Times and even, you know, Trading Places, Coming to America teach us such valuable lessons because we don't expect them. Dead Poet Society, you kind of expect you're going to, you know, walk away feeling like you learned a, a little bit about something. Uh, Carpe Diem sees the day is what everybody tends to talk about. Uh, but there is a deeper uh, line in that movie, John Keating, played by Robin Williams, the, the high school teacher that's teaching these kids at an elite boarding school, who've all been taught, like, you're going to go in a straight line. You know, you're born at point A, you go to point B, and you do it based on what the family tells you. And he says, nonsense, boys. And he says, no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. And uh, this line is a really important line because back in the 80s, if I wanted to get my words and ideas out to the world, I had the Community Times newspaper in my little town and maybe, you know, 15 people read it. But in the palm of our hand now, we have the ability to get our words and ideas out to the world. It's the great equalizer. We don't have to be an athlete, a celebrity, a world leader, any of those things to get our words and ideas out. Now, that's that's talking to talk. You got to walk the walk as well. What action are you going to take? And for me, it's animal rescue. I mentioned Bodie, my, my boy, uh, Bodie boy. Uh, he's a rescue. And uh, he was basically dead on the street down in Miami, laying on the sidewalk, three months old, was paralyzed, couldn't walk for a month. Uh, some cops found him, scooped him up, took him to a rescue that I follow. I watched his story. And when he was available for adoption, I got him. And uh, I've always been a big believer in animal rescue. My grandmother, my mom taught me that. This guy, you know, I say rescued is the best breed. Um, I had a rough little patch in March of 2021. My, my, my girlfriend was a little bit of a gypsy soul. She bought an RV and took off. She lives in the, on the coast of Oregon now, and I'm very happy for her. She's where she needs to be. Um, but, you know, it was a tough moment for me. And then in April, my stepmom got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer out of nowhere, passed away three weeks later. Two months later, my mom died of Alzheimer's. So there was about a 100-day window there where it was just, it was rough. But... All along, I had this boy Bodhi by my side. I had my boy Bodhi by my side. And no matter what was going on in my life, he was there. And um, I say that rescued is the best breed. There are so many animals that need homes out there. And uh, that that idea of, you know, no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. It's important. But you got you to walk the walk as well. Yeah. The thing I always think about the 80s, and I, I always compare it to seeing Captain EO at Epcot for the first time. When Michael gets up there and sings the song, you know, we can change the world. Yeah. And I remember seeing it years later when they brought it back. And I thought, 
I was in my skeptical phase at that point. And I said, change the world. I mean, now we're not even sure we can save it, but, but it, but you do go back to a movie like uh, dead poets and you think about words can, can change the world. And it's, it's a, it's one of the uplifting things that the eighties gave us. And I think that's why uh, 17 years is not long enough to, uh, to do a podcast about it. Yeah. And you've done a fantastic job, man. I just, you know, everybody talks about you and your podcast. Uh, I told a couple of people I was coming on, they knew it. You know, a couple of my friends knew the podcast. They were wow. listening. A couple of people that you would spe- expect like uh, Tamara Deaver, you know, I was mentioning to her that I was going to be on and she was so excited. She's like, Oh my God, I love Steve. And I love the podcast. So um, you're doing a fantastic job of, of keeping the eighties alive for, for everyone and introducing new generations to it. Yes. So are you uh, folks get out there and buy this book. It will, uh, change your perspective i truly i really believe that chris it was great having you on the show thank you man stay rad everybody there we go chris clues i mean i know you love trading places so you must have uh enjoyed that part of the conversation yeah anytime people want to talk about trading places I'm, i'm up for it i'm totally up for it and yeah i love what he had to say there that movie doesn't get I guess it, I mean, you and I give it so much love, but I, I kind of feel like it, it doesn't get quite the, its due otherwise. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think to your, to your point, it's, you know, to me, it's one of my top five movies of the 80s. I'll just say that without even p- pausing to think about it. Um, is it is it Eddie Murphy's funniest movie? Ha ha, very funny, motherfucker. Or don't, don't give me Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, you I know, would say his funniest is coming to America. I like him better in – he's – he's okay, this is going to sound strange. He's more a character in this movie than he is in Beverly Hills Cop. In Beverly Hills Cop, he's Eddie Murphy, yeah. who happens to be a cop. But, you know, and he's kind of doing his stand-up thing. In this, he's playing another role, and I think that's a little more – God, this sounds so snotty. It's a little more nuanced <laughs> – <laughs> if does that means anything to you, I don't know, listeners. Tell no. me, tell me that I'm just making shit up about '80s movies, which wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, but to me, Trading Places is a perfect movie. I couldn't, I, you, I couldn't, or wouldn't change a thing. I can't change it. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm trying to think if I would change anything. I, I don't know that I would. It's ooh, it's so good, so good. <laughs> I might go watch it right now. Is it a Christmas movie or is it a New Year's movie? It's both. It's a holiday movie. <laughs> I mean, uh, he dresses up as Santa. So does that basically right. start right around Thanksgiving? Yeah, it does. It's I not really so. clear. Be, the Christmas holidays are obviously coming because you know. What's your What's your stance on Chris avoiding seeing the movie Dirty Dancing? I mean, I respect it. I respect the contrarian in the man. Um, as you may remember, when we uh, when we did our Dirty Dancing episode several years ago, where we sat in the back seat of the car and let uh, Gail and Jen drive. Uh, I had never seen it. I had never seen it until until my prep for that episode. So I can't remember what was your take on it. Did you did you enjoy it? I liked it better than I thought I was going to. I'm not sure how I would have felt about it if I'd seen it in my teens, twenties, whatever that was when it came I, out. I still say it's a better movie when you watch it as an adult. It's you see, like you connect more with like the adult characters, like the dad characters. That's the that's the role that you're like oh oh yeah because I mean that's kind of where I am in my life now I'm the dad in case you hadn't noticed uh, so I'm no longer the 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 hunky dance instructor oh wait I was never the hunky dance instructor 
so yeah, I think you're right. I, I just I don't think I would have connected with the material at all yeah. until I had that perspective to share. So right, no, I mean, I agree. like I said, I there are there are many movies that I'm just like, and I know it's not an attractive look, but I'm like, oh, th- that's popular and everybody likes it. Then f- it, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> I'd say the list of movies that I haven't seen from the 80s that I still need to is it's dwindled dwindled a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, we kind of we kind of hit on them and it's like, okay, yeah. well, okay, I'm going to make you watch Silverado. Yeah, Silverado was one. Goonies, saw ET all the way through. Wow. Wish I hadn't. <laughs> no, they I all mean, die not, at the end. Be, <laughs> no, yeah, they all I just oh. Man, I sob like a fool at the end of that movie. It was bad. Mm, poor Steven. It was bad. Um, I'll tell you this, Chris and I talked about it after the interview was over, when he was talking about some of the troubles he's been through in the last couple of years, and um, yeah. dedicating the book, and who it's dedicated to, and oh man, I was you should have seen my face, it was just like here it comes, here comes mm. the tears, yeah, keep yeah. keep it together and, man, and he admitted that sometimes when he does, when he talks about that in on, you know live presentations, that he kind of sometimes you know yeah, I don't even want like to, I don't even like to say the word cry. I, I just don't. But I think we should drop a little bit of that uh, that Asia song in here. It's, I can't. I can't. I'm trying to think what I, what, what if I cried about in the last 24 hours? I don't know. It's it's the list is long and distinguished. I'm sure. Anyway, um, yeah. definitely look for his book on Amazon.com. We'll put notes to it and links to it in the show notes. Um, I I've read all three of them now. I love it. I'm looking forward to his fourth one. I hope I get a chance to see him uh, live one day. But you know what I like to catch right now? It's not even a good transition. The, the Seggies. Why would we let that stop us, Steve? Hey, it's time for TV Party Tonight. <laughs> I hope. Because <laughs> I I didn't write down the name of the lyric, the, the Seggy in the notes, and so I'm just kind of staring at the screen going, okay, then. Oh, Brad adds it now. That's nice. A little late, Brad. Sorry, man. <laughs> anyway, we'll play a snippet of a TV theme song from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for the postal-friendly bottle opener. And I'm pretty sure it's going to stay postal-friendly bottle opener, although although um, we do have a uh, suggestion coming up from uh, from one of our listeners on a Indeed new we possible Indeed uh, we prize. do. But in the meantime, from episode 649, here was the mystery theme song. That's the theme from Cagney and Lacey. Cop show, right? Cop show? I, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't watch it. With cops? Like a procedural? Are, are you, in general, do you like cop shows? Uh, I don't think I, okay, well, here's here's one for it. Never saw a single uh, episode of Hill Street Blues. I don't think I did either. 
certainly never saw Cop Rock. Of course, that was only on for like three episodes. Um, no, not really. No. I, oh, you know what? The last cop show I watched with any regularity was, you know it, we've used the theme as a trivia uh, question on the cruise before. It has motorcycles in it. Chips? Chips. Oh, my God. I loved chips. Oh, my gosh. And it's got a very snappy jazz chart of a theme. Oh, you know... Every, so every once in a while at night, especially on Thursdays, Thursday is Throwback Thursday night here at the Oh, I like that Spe- idea. S- Spears Love Nest, and so we play music <laughs> from previous decades. And we were watch. We were we had a YouTube video on that said, you know, can you name this these seventies and eighties TV theme songs? And the, oh, yeah, the Chips one came on, and it was the first time in a long time where I was just like, I, I know it, and I just can't pull the words out of my head. And, and then when they finally showed it, I was like, you got to be kidding me. How could I forget the theme to Chips? Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. All that Ponch and John love just erased it from too, your memory. Too many cop shows. Although, I, I will say, we're watching Castle right now, which okay. had, um, from, I guess it was maybe on 10 years ago. And I never watched it, but I, I really enjoy it now. For, uh, I just, I like the cast a lot. Yeah. So, but, but generally, I just, too, too many, too many. Not my thing. Like I've never seen any Law and Order. I've never seen, yeah. Oh, I've seen Law and Order. I've seen uh, NYPD Blue. I've seen. Never saw any of that. They're good, but they're. I used but... to watch Emergency. Oh, Adam Twelve. Oh. I watched some Adam Twelve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one Adam Twelve. One Adam Twelve. Gang with chains and knives. <laughs> just, just break out the saline solution. <laughs> yeah. Just hose them down. No, that's Emergency. Oh, is that emergency? Started no, Adam with Twelve is the cop show. Yeah, that's right. Emergency has the saline solution with Randolph Mantooth. Yeah. Should be a name of a prog rock band. Man, it really should be. Anyway, <laughs> I think it should, actually I would name my band uh, Mantooth Randolph. Yeah. Does this count? Have we talked about TV? We talked about TV enough on this show for it to count as a TV show. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't get people off our backs. <sighs> absolutely. Anyway, hey, uh, should we read the winners? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Here we go, Steve. Winners this week include. The Tromboner. Yes. Darren from John Cleese's hometown in good old United Kingdom. William Patton, Carlos stuck in Pennsylvania, Dallas Fitzgerald, and Brain Pan, a.k.a. Brian Pond, who writes, Cagney and Lacey, never watched the show. Was it good? <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I feel you, Brian. I feel you. It was you. pretty popular. I'm guessing it, it was, was. Yeah, it was a reasonably big hit, as I recall. Oh, God. How many seasons of- did that run? Oh, I don't know. I, I would if I, if I would guess off the top of my head, I'll say six. <laughs> That's very close. That's Price is Right winning right there. That's because it was seven. Seven. So, I was going to go with seven. Yeah. But that just seemed long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, God, last night it's the holiday season here, of course, uh, and this might be our final show 
of 2022. It just depends. Brad's got a lot you of... You just never knew, do you, kid? We both have a lot of uh, trips coming up here at this this yeah. month, so um, probably should announce that in case someone was thinking about robbing us. But but none, nonetheless, we're going to be out of town. So we're, we're to the point now where we're trying to watch all the holiday movies. Oh, okay. You know, and of course, you and I watched A Christmas Story Christmas yep. for the last episode. And two nights ago, we watched... What was it? Mistletoe and Menorahs, like was which was a Hallmark movie, and then last night we watched. And this here's the '80s angle that you're waiting for. People are just going to go and get on with it. Here's the '80s angle. <laughs> yeah. It was called. Script. <laughs> it was called like I think it's called a Castle for Christmas, and it stars Brooke Shields and Carrie Elwes. So, this is Don Glenn Holywell. What you had. <laughs> What are all these? Locals leave them. Legend dates back to the first Duchess of Dunbar. When war broke out, she donned the garments of a warrior, came to this very well and laid a necklace on the edge for courage. What happened? Well, she went off to fight. Turned out she had the heart of a warrior. She ended up saving the village and falling in love with a man who fought by her side, a commoner. That's beautiful. Aye, if you like that sort of tale. Did they end up together? Wed on Christmas Eve at Dundunbar. Invited the whole village. And every Christmas Eve after that, for a century or two anyway. Christmas Eve at Dundunbar for the village. We should do that. We? Whoever owns it. Okay. And she's a writer who goes and takes a sabbatical in Scotland to visit this castle that her family used to be ground tenders for years or you know generations ago. Huh. Oh, okay. Like Carrie, it was like she grew up there. No, she didn't grow up. Oh, in the grass. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, but Carrie Elways is the the Scottish lord who lives there now and is desperately trying to sell the place. And does so, he do a lot of fencing in this picture? No, he does. He does. He does a credible Scottish accent, though. But yeah. it's funny because it, it couldn't have been. It can't be that old. It, it must be a couple of years old, just a couple. And it's just it's just interesting to see how Brooke and Carrie. I mean, first of all, they have a lot of chemistry together. Okay. And, and second, he he looks great. I mean, he still looks like Carrie always. You know, you expect him to pop up a, a Princess yeah. Bride line at any second, but he doesn't. <laughs> we are men of action. Lies do not become us. But he does a credible job at, at that. And to be honest, I mean, was it better, better than mistletoe and menorahs? I'll tell you that. <laughs> I saw something like in the last month. It's, it's about time for you know bankers in suits to lose their girlfriends to homespun men in flannel on the Hallmark <laughs> Network. <laughs> and it's funny was we we, were, we always want movies that we can see like we, we don't want to be sitting there for three and a half hours, four hours. We don't need we don't need Gone with the Wind. Yeah, give me an hour, like maybe an hour and 45. Yeah, no, these are all like 96 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like perfect. There's no time for like three different endings. Yeah, I don't need a lot of plot development. Uh, you know, I don't care about the, the main character's kids. Like, let's yeah. just get on with this. Yeah. Boy and girl meet, fall in love, have a disagreement, get back together, movie ends. <laughs> so, Smooches. Just, just like a uh, love boat. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, actually, you're 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 100 right. There's a misunderstanding somewhere in there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, oh, should we spin the wheel? Yeah, let's spin a wheel. Let's get a winner. It's certainly okay, not. Here me. we go. Oh, Steve, you're the biggest winner on this podcast. 653 <laughs> episodes later, here we go. One, 
too. Oh gosh, no. I got I got to save some energy. I'm glad you did that. I have to go put the lights out on the uh, bush later on tonight. That's how we we have enough lights to cover the bush. Out of context, that's going to sound bad, but trust me, it's going to look beautiful. I'm going to leave that exactly where it is. I, I got, we got our outside lights up last night or last week. Yeah. Last night. Uh, looks like it's going to land on William Patton. Excellent. Uh, send us your snail mail address, postal address, and we'll send you a, a, a trinket of our appreciation. A PFBO. That's right. But in the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's uh, magical mystery TV theme song. Listen to the If you know it, email us at podcast.sits.com. Come. And then uh, also include your favorite Kel- Carrie Elway's quote from Princess Bride. We'll be right back after this commercial break. You've probably heard the critics praise The Princess Bride. But if you heard this? Why? Why? It had adventure. It had romance. It, it was really funny. Hysterical. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's smart. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. That was an incredible movie. It really crystal was great. It was hysterical. Have fun storming the castle. The Princess Bride. Ready PG. Now playing at theaters everywhere. And we're back. we got just a few minutes left. Uh, some interesting feedback from last week's show. The conversation that uh, Brad and I were asked to have about mixtapes. Hmm. Yes. Um, An evergreen topic. We could do show after show on mixtapes, I feel like. We might have to. Uh, Eric Miller wrote and said, uh, as a prize for our uh, Segi contests, we could do a mix CD made by by you both with your favorite 80s tunes. One can be a drives tune. The other one can be whatever. So like... Yeah, I'm not making a romantic (laughs) mixtape for you, listener. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I love you all in that like agape way, but not, you know, that way. So I'll, no, like I'll do like, no, like a, hidden messages buried on the tr- the third yes. track on side two about how I want to ask you the prom. Like that's just I don't have time for that. I got, nor am I interested. I am romantically satisfied with the. <laughs> just to be clear, I hope you get her a card this this Christmas season that says I am so romantically satisfied with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be a real non-starter yeah. for for my line of uh, line of Valentine's cards. Oh. Uh, do we get another? We got another email, right? We did. We did get something. I got something directly from uh, Donnie Gettle with three N's, who is just trying to get on the consonant train here, I guess. Who wrote simply one line? Wasn't White Lines written by Grandmaster Mel Mel? And I, you know what? I have to say he's right. I have to issue retraction. Uh, let me read to you from the book of Wikipedia. I didn't even bother to try and rewrite it. When this was originally released on Sugar Hill Records, the record was credited to Grandmaster and Mel Mel. And I assume that was Grandmaster Flash and Mel Mel. Ah. Uh, some international issues actually did have Grandmaster Flash on them. But at this point, Grandmaster Flash was not touring with him and was suing Sugar Hill Records for royalties. So there was a lot of animosity there, apparently. Um, Mel Mel and Sylvia Robinson co wrote the song Grandmaster Flash, not part of the picture, as it turns out. Uh, it was. As you might have figured out, again, it's hard to figure out what this song is about. It's supposed to be an ironic celebration of the cocaine-fueled party lifestyle, which I know you partook of greatly in the... I still have never... I've never seen cocaine. Well, yeah. I don't know. I, I wouldn't... I don't know that I've never seen it, but anyway, we'll leave it at that. 
they they threw in the the don't do it as a you know a concession to try and get the record actually played, which seemed to work. You know, to be fair. Yeah. Anyway, so thank you for correct correcting me there, Donald. Eh. Thank you for correcting me there, Donnie. I will forever uh, be relabeling my old mixtapes with Mel Mel instead of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious. One. That's good. What do you use yeah. these days for your for your? I'm I'm using Amazon Music for mine. I'm all on Spotify. Okay. About I think about th- four years or so ago, um, I signed up the family for a premium family plan which is like the best money I've ever spent. Okay. <laughs> My son and I got our, we got our, like our year end stats this week. And I had like, I was, it was almost 28 days of listening time. And last year I had beat my son in total minutes by like a hundred minutes or something like that. And he was so mad. So <laughs> I had to check in and see what his number was. And he had like 48,000 minutes. It was way more than me by like a, an order of magnitude. So, He's just got it on all the time yeah. in the background. But, uh, but that's where I do all my mixtapes. Or mixtapes. That's where I make my mixes and things. I, I, I went to Amazon Music because we use um, Alexa all mm-hmm. the time. We have them all over the house to, to play music. And we were just getting frustrated because every time we would ask for a song, she, you know, she'd be like, I'm sorry, that song is only available to Amazon Music subscribers. And, and ah. I'm like, fine, <laughs> take my money. Yeah. Here at Bezos. So you I, look hungry. I just I just built one this morning. I built a playlist for the wife, and uh, oh, aren't you nice? thirty two songs? You put on there thirty two songs for two hours and twenty three minutes. There is some. I'm not going to get too specific, but there's some Brian Ferry. There's mm-hmm. some Jackson Brown. Some Richard Marks. Um, oh boy, I sense schmoopy tape. <laughs> Spendo ballet. Um, I'm trying to think of the most unusual thing on here that you would not. There's a Kiss song on here. Can you guess which one? Is there a song called "Man with a Gun"? <laughs> no. Uh, that, that's that might you you might give that one a full listen. It could it could slot right I don't in there know. real nice. Is that but lyrically? It's a lovely song. Paul Young, uh, Glenn Fry. Oh my gosh! I don't think I can take it. And how long did it take you to put that mix together? I don't want to say, but uh, there. Uh, okay, but these are some of my favorite songs. Oh, okay. And, um, okay. you know, for, for, for certain mood settings. I was just thinking if, if, if you said to me, like, make a mixtape for Katie, start now, go. And I like went to, you know, I used my, my time traveling phone booth from Bill and Ted and went to the desert island with Wi Fi <laughs> so I could do that. It would probably take me the better part of a week before I was happy with it. I, I had been so sending, just, I had been like sending myself notes. For the last few weeks, yeah. like like so you've been doing pre-pro, as we said, right? And then and then and then what's nice on Amazon uh, Music is that as you build it, they start coming up with suggestions. So oh. they're like, oh, okay, you like that one? How about this one? How about yeah? Yeah, I don't think I think the Kiss song would probably be the weirdest weirdest thing on here. You like Cagney and Lacey season five? <laughs> we suggest Cagney and Lacey season six. It, it is weird how much uh, when you when you're putting together a podcast, it totally screws up all your. Uh, yeah, algorithms. My, yeah, my YouTube algorithms get very weird sometimes when we're pulling songs and clips and things. Um, we had one other. We had one other note before we go, and I only add this in because they agreed with me one hundred percent. That's actually in the text. Uh, Amy G of Naperville. As we were starting to record this episode, a note came in from her saying, "Brad, I agree with you one hundred percent on all of your philosophies and your outrages." Shade, Terrence Trent Darby. 
Anyway. Yeah, I just, sorry. I just. You know, write in and agree with me. That's always good. Send send those right to me. I always like that. There's no Sade. There's no Terrence Trent Darby on, on my playlist. So my playlist, I, Terrence, my rules. So I went looking for Terrence Trent Darby on the Spotify, and he's not listed under Terrence Trent Darby. Uh, he's listed, he's professionally, he's changed his name back to his, whatever his birth name is. Good for him. That's what I say. He's got the meats. He John Cougared it. <laughs> anyway, if we don't hear, if we, if we don't get a chance to talk to you again before the new year, I hope you have a great holiday. Uh, maybe we'll sneak one in there. We've got a couple of burn, uh, fires in the burner. Is that the, what the young kids say today? Uh, buns in the oven. <laughs> I hope. No, 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 no. I'm done paying for college. We're not doing <laughs> that again. But we'll meet you on the other side because we're right here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening.